Today we're here to celebrate Christmas, of course. This is the last Sunday before uh, we will all gather with hopefully our families or loved ones on Christmas Day. And, and God's just going to do some tremendous things in your family's life. I speak that in faith over your situation. Christmas is a, is sometimes is a, a time of partying. It's sometimes a, a time of division. But more importantly, Christmas is more often a time of healing. So I pray that during this Christmas season that healing will occur physically, uh, spiritually, uh, relationally in your families. I just believe God's just got something tremendous for you in this season. Listen, you know, there's an old saying that when, when God starts blessing, that the devil gets messing. Well, he's been messing a whole lot this year. So that lets me know that God has been blessing. And I think there's greater blessings that are coming forth. The, the, the turn of a calendar really doesn't mean a whole lot to God when it comes down to it. That's only in our, in our lives, in our dimensions. But it does speak into our lives. And I'm believing as we go forth into the new year in just a little over a week away, I believe that we're going to see God do some remarkable things. Let me say this. Sometimes we, here we are in, I was looking back, uh, through the uh, early part of this year, I was looking back through some things in uh, January and February, and and I was looking in March, and then all of a sudden things begin to change. And you know, when we begin to uh, hear about, oh, it's going to be two weeks, we're only locked down for two weeks. I preached a message here, and I went back and looked at. I preached a message that, uh, in essence, said, "Don't let the pandem- don't let the pandemonium exceed the pandemic." And we know the pandemic is real. We have people sitting in this room that can can very much so attest to that. The, the virus is real. We all know that. But I want you to know that God is still greater than any obstacle that we can ever face in life. And He is still faithful. And He is still seated on the throne. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And He is there for a particular purpose. And that's to make intercession for you and I. And while we look around and we see that it has been a trying year in so many ways, I also had to open my eyes and begin to look a few days ago and see and really realize what God has been doing in 2020. Sometimes our vision has become muddled. Our, our, our vision has become blurred at what God is doing because we have heard so much and seen so much and, and, and believed so much of the things that we're seeing and hearing that it's caused us not to realize how much God is and was and is still on the scene. So God has been remarkable to us in this year. You're blessed. You're here. And, and those of you who are watching, you're blessed wherever you are, and, and you're, you're there and you're watching us this morning. So we are a blessed people. So we come down to this last service of, not the last service of the year, but it's the last service before Christmas. And we're going to, uh, we're going to take communion. We're going to take part in sacrament this morning. But I want to share just a little bit with you before we do that. Uh, I want to share with you from the book of Luke. Chapter 2. It's the Christmas story as we know it. Many of us are familiar with it. We heard some of it last weekend in a, in the adult play. 
uh, and uh, it was fantastic, as well as the children's program. I really, uh, I really, one part of the play that I really began to question was when Joseph and Mary stood about right here where I'm at, and Mary's, you know, she's the mother of Jesus, but he was conceived of a virgin, but then a little blonde-headed girl runs up and grabs Mary and says, Mama, 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 you know. It was all good. It was all funny. It's good. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, this, a portion of a verse. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth into Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house. And, and I put in parentheses, this is my, this is my note, because he belonged to the house and the bloodline of David. There's some very important things that, actually not some very important things. It's the all important thing that we, we find in our salvation and the, 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 the birthing of our salvation in this verse of scripture this morning. When we begin to think about Bethlehem, Bethlehem in itself, um, is actually interpreted the house of bread. Now, up until this point, and actually even over in Bethlehem now, Bethlehem is, uh, you know, we hear about it some on the news and different things, but Bethlehem is not like a metropolis of the world even today. Bethlehem was a small, you know, we sing that song, Old Little Town of Bethlehem. And, and, and we think about, we think about Bethlehem and sometimes we, it has great fame with us as being the, the birthplace, the birth town of, of our Savior, of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but in essence, uh, in many ways, Bethlehem was a, just an unheard of place. It was an unheard of, it was a place of insignificance. It, it held no notoriety, if you would. It lacked luster. But it was, you know, it was free of political notoriety. It didn't have this reputation of being a place of great commerce. It was just a commonplace, in other words. And as we think about Jesus being born in the house of bread, Bethlehem, we I want you to begin to think with me this morning about how that Jesus Christ is the bread. The bread was born in the bread, or the place of bread. You see, because when we begin to study Scripture, we find that Jesus is the bread of life. The bread is a good comparison, or it's metaphorically, it's a great illustration of, of who the Lord is, of who Jesus is. Because let me tell you something, bread will satisfy you. Now, my wife has a, she has a autoimmunity it's not a it's not a disease in the sense that it's transferable, but she has an autoimmunity disease that's called celiac disease. So she can't eat anything with wheat in it. Let me tell you, there's a lot of different flours. There's rice flour, and there's uh, there's uh, help me with some other ones. Rice flour, almond flour. 
Some of, some of you know what I'm talking about. Let me, they're, they're all okay. I guess they do what, you know, and it's all that product, almonds ground up and rice ground up into to powder, and that's what we call flour. But there is nothing that really replaces wheat or white flour as we know it. I can make a pretty mean pot of gravy, but not with rice flour. I can make a real mean pot of gravy, but not with almond flour. I can make a mean pot of gravy with wheat flour. But bread is the comparison, if you would, to the substance of life. Bread is compared here to bread will satisfy us when we're hungry. If, if you can't find nothing else to eat, right now on our kitchen cabinet at home, there's a Ziploc bag that has two cornbread muffins in it, and there is a half gallon of buttermilk in my refrigerator. I promise you, I will not go hungry. Bread, bread, the bread, it's, it, bread will keep us from going hungry. Uh, even in the even in the most uh, extreme circumstance of of imprisonment, people are imprisoned and they are fed nothing but bread and water because that is considered the basics, the 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 the, the most the, the most basic form of substance, if you would, bread and water. So bread, bread he, he satisfies. Bread will satisfy us. Bread will gratify us. And bread will strengthen us physically. If you're, if you are, if you are weak, if you got, I call them, I call them DTs, delicious trembles. Sometimes if I go without eating breakfast, sometimes if I miss a, a meal and you look at me and you're probably saying, now he's, he's saying he misses a meal. I can tell that's not happened too often. But every once in a while I'll miss a meal and I'll get a little bit shaky. But, but if I don't have anything other than a piece of bread or a peanut butter sandwich, you know, uh, to, you know, and sometimes it's just that wish sandwich, two pieces of bread, and you wish something was in between them. But bread, but that bread will, it will bring you back. It will energize you again. It, it will, it will revitalize you and it will in, increase you and it will minister to you. You see, in all of that metaphor, in all of that illustration, I want you to understand this with me, that bread is there to sustain life. Bread is life sustaining and bread is also there to meet a hunger. And a hunger is a craving and desire of your body. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Let me tell you something. There, there, there is a hunger in your being. There is a hunger in your soul. Your, your, if you would, your spiritual gut is wrapped around the backbone of, of your life. And, and there is something inside of every one of us that is longing for something spiritual. So many times we look for it and we venture out and we try to receive it in many ways, in many places, by many means. But there is only one place that we will receive the, the, the 
that, that, that infilling that we need and it's going to only come through the Lord Jesus Christ. We can spend all of our money. We can use all of our resources. We even read about a woman in the Bible that had a sickness and in that sickness she had used up all she had but she couldn't find the remedy for her sickness until she crawled through a crowd on hands and knees and wretched up and touched the garment of this same baby Jesus that had been born in a manger 30 some years before in Bethlehem and when she got a hold of Jesus she touched the bread of life and she was fulfilled in that hour you see Jesus is the bread of life he says that the the bread will not only meet the hunger but we also see that it is sustaining. For when we don't know what we're going to do, when we don't think we can make it any further, when when we've already got the shakes, if you would, when 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 we when we think that we're just ready to collapse, the bread of life, if you would, is our source of spiritual nutrition. To strengthen us once again that we may continue going on. If you're in this room this morning or if you're watching, no matter how hard 2020 is, no matter how hard what any of us have been through in this year, there's one thing that will keep us going on. And it may not be your best friend. It may not be your pastor. It may not even be your church. All all those things are good. It may not be your family member. But there is one thing that will you going on. There's one thing that will fill you and, and make you strong again, and that's the bread of life, Jesus Christ. He will strengthen you to go on when you seemingly can't go any further. I hope every one of you, if you didn't receive one of these communion packs when you came in this morning, uh, we will get you one. Scott's back to back. Just, if you didn't get a communion pack, just raise your hand real quickly, and Scott will make sure that you're served. I think everybody's good. If you will, if you will help, and if there's somebody beside of you that's, uh, that's have, that has difficulty peeling back the foil, uh, and the cellophane, uh, maybe somebody next to you will help you if you're having trouble, and, uh, and will help you obtain the articles of communion that, that you have in your hand this morning. You see, ordinarily, I, I, I like to take communion. My preference of taking communion is to do it with a, a pone of bread, as we used to call it. A loaf of bread. And uh, I like that because, you know, in the Bible we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we are all share of the same loaf. You see, in the early, in the early church, in the early communion, it's still practiced in some denominations today, uh, or at least in this, this generation. You see, they, they, they all just ate off of one pone of bread. When Sarah and I were in Israel and back in 2012 and we took communion on Sabbath, uh, with, with, uh, under Jewish supervision, if you would, with some Jews there in, in Israel, they came out and they had one big pone of bread and everybody pulled off their pone of bread and you, and, and they brought one cup and everybody was supposed to drink out of the same cup until Bishop Gary Bryant that we were traveling with, he found out that the cup had real wine in it. And he was, no! Bring us some grape juice. 
We're, we're holiness people. But in your hand, hopefully by now, you've opened your cup and you have this small wafer. This small wafer, uh, this wafer is, is uh, if you would, it's indicative of, of the body of Jesus Christ. It's, it's very flat. It's very plain. When you taste it, it's going to be very, uh, it's not going to be something that you're going to write home to your mom or dad or your, write to your grandkids about that I had this awesome wafer this morning at church. Uh, in fact, if you, if you really study out the, 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 the type of bread that was used in the, the time that the Jewish matzah bread, there was, there was many significant meanings to the, to the matzah bread. It was, uh, but this bread has no yeast. It, yeast is symbol, symbolizes sin in the scripture. That's why this is flat. Jesus had no sin in him. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. He was the bread of life. Listen, He was the all-sufficient. It may not look the best. It may not taste the best to you. But the thing about it is, Jesus may not always look the best way to you. He may not always seem the best way to you. But the reality of it is, He is the best way for you and for me if we will partake of it. So, the bread and the wine. We find that has Jesus still, I stayed with, stayed with Luke's gospel. In Luke 22, Jesus, he's with his disciples. He's, he's just had, you know, what we call the last supper and he's washed disciples feet and, and they're getting ready, if you would, to, to, to break bread. And, but he took on the role of a servant. He took on the role of a servant and and as he took the bread, he gave thanks for the bread and then the scripture says he broke it. Now broke it, if you you study the scripture out, it means he began to pull the bread apart. He began to pull the bread apart and he began to distribute it. More than likely, he actually put it in the mouths of his apostles. But as he did so, He gave them instruction. That instruction is, this is my body, metaphorically. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We find that Paul, the apostle, followed these instructions later in his life. And and, and Paul actually recited this this particular scene himself. And, And today, as we have this little wafer in your hands, I want you to do this with me right now. I just want you to break it. Between your fingers. Just break it. I want you to be reminded this morning that the Lord Jesus Christ, this baby that we're celebrating, that was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, that said, that declared himself as being the bread of life because he is the bread of life. He was broken just for you. He was broken just for you. But then he says to take it and eat it. And often as you do this, he says, do it in remembrance to me. You know, you know, when we eat something, in essence, what we're doing is, another word for eating, is consuming. We, and, and Jesus said, I want you to take it and eat it. Jesus said, I want you to consume me. You see, so often we talk so much about, Jesus, we want you to consume us. We want you to overwhelm us. We want you to take us over, Lord. Use me. But Jesus has given us instructions to consume him.
to consume him. It's not about, it's not about Jesus, we need more of you. It's Jesus, you need more of us. It, you see, so, so as you broke the bread, I want you to join with me right now as we bless it. Lord, we thank you for the bread. We thank you for the bread of life. Lord, that bread of life that was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, the place, Lord God, of the royal line of David. And God, right now, right now, Lord, we take this communion in acknowledgement of your body that was broken. You were wounded for our transgressions. You were abused. You were abused for our iniquity. And your body that you gave on the cross bore the, all of my sin and all of my shame as well as every other person in this room. So today, Lord, I thank you for your body. I thank you for the house of bread. I thank you for, for being the bread of life in Jesus' name. And I just want you to do this with me right now. I just want you to take the bread that you broke and now I want you to consume it. And I also want you to be mindful. Of what Jesus has done for you. We thank you Lord. We thank you Lord for your goodness. We thank you Lord. For Lord you are great. And you are greatly to be praised. We also find as. Mary and Joseph. Made their way to Bethlehem. We find that. In the scripture which we read to you from this morning, that it was, it had to be because that Joseph belonged to the house or the bloodline of David. And although that David, uh, that Joseph was not Jesus's father, he did, he was not conceived by Joseph, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, yet he was in essence, the son of Joseph. And it was to be that Jesus, it had been prophesied that Jesus would follow, the Messiah would follow the Davidic bloodline. The Davidic bloodline, if you would, represents the the absolute, perfect, complete bloodline of Jesus Christ. There, there's been a lot of, there's a lot of blood. You know, you know, when, the, when Nathan gave blood a few months ago over here in the gym, you know, he had a Superman shirt on. I don't know if that indicated they put him over there on a bigger machine than everybody else. But you know what? His blood was not perfect. It was good. All of you that, that donated blood was good. We're going to do some more of those coming up. But, but, but in the sense of sacrifice, in the sense of sacrifice, that it was, when you study the, the, the old law, the law, the Levitical laws of sacrifice, the sacrifice was to be given by a perfect sacrifice, a perfect lamb. And, and that, that was as close to perfect as you could do it. And, the, and the, the priests would prepare themselves, if you would, and make themselves ready, uh, if you would, perfecting themselves as much as they could. But... In, in all of the opportunities and in all of the effort, there was nothing that was complete in priestly <coughs> sacrifice of animals. I know I shouldn't put this necktie. The, so, in God's plan that existed from the foundations of the earth, God had planned 
for a perfect means of sacrifice. That perfect means of sacrifice was through the blood of Jesus Christ. The bodily blood of Jesus, listen to me, we need to realize this. The bodily blood of Jesus was God's own blood. Every one of us in here has our own blood. Now I have heard, I have heard and I found out through study that it's, it's, it's a, it's just like one of these urban legends. I heard that when a child's conceived, it has its dad's blood. That's not true. It doesn't have the mother's blood either. There are elements that come from the blood of both the mom and the dad that come together and blend and that child has a blood of its own. Meaning it's very unique. You're unique. I'm unique. We're all different in so many ways. Uh, none of us are probably alike, maybe in a few ways, but, but we all have our unique blood. Jesus, the bodily blood of Jesus was his own, yet it was the blood of God because Jesus is the Son of God and Jesus came in order that we may have salvation because salvation can only come through the shedding of blood. In fact, Hebrews 9 and 22 tells us that. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Now, Sarah and I talked to somebody just in the last few days, Sarah more so than myself, and, and this person shared about how they were trying to do better and 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 improve their life. And I, I, I hear that all the time, I, I you know, in, in some other Works I'm doing in extensions of ministry. I've been talking with some people and, and those people have been telling me, Pastor, you know what? I used to do this. I used to live this lifestyle. I used to do that. And I, but I'm really trying to do better. I'm really trying to, 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 to do, be a better person and act better and do better things and not treat people the way that I used to treat. And all of those things are well and good and they're admirable, admirable. Don't get me wrong. But understand me, all the goodness in the world we can do. All of the great deeds that we can accomplish, all of the money that we could give away, all of, all of the gifts that we could give at Christmas, all the wonderful things that you could say about your pastor, all that, all that is good and well, but there is nothing that can cleanse us from our sin other than the blood of Jesus. If goodness could do it, there would be people that could maybe be good enough, but probably not. If goodness could do it, Jesus came in vain. Bethlehem was in vain. If goodness can do it, God would have known that. And He would have not sent His Son here to die for you and I that we may have salvation. You see, Jesus, the bread of life, contained the blood, the Davidic bloodline that represents a perfect blood, a perfect sacrifice with a unique DNA that provides us with the salvation that we need to forgive us of our sins that we may inherit life and life more abundantly. That means going to heaven if you don't quite understand that. And that means that we can live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever as eternity is because not of our goodness, but of the blood of Jesus Christ. It all started in the house of bread. It all started in Bethlehem. It all started with the royal Davidic bloodline of David. Now in your hands, you still have a cup left. 
And as you have that cup left, it's, it's, it's grape juice. And as you work to peel that back again, if you need some assistance, don't be afraid to, this is fresh by the way. We, we know a fellow that served some, some one time it had been several years old and I believe it had fermented. I'm not going to call no names. He just used to be the pastor of this church. Some of y'all can figure that out. <laughs> he said, well, no, you stole it away. No. But the grape juice that you hold in your hand represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in a, in a, in a time of political correctness that we live in, probably more than ever before, people don't want to hear about blood. They don't want to hear about violence. Uh, although it's happening all around us. But did you, let, let me tell you something. The next major holiday, religious holiday as we call it, that's coming forth in our life is the time of Passover and Easter and resurrection. Let me tell you something. That was a bloody time. It was a bloody time. I don't mean to be graphic. Pardon me if I'm too graphic for you this morning. But I want to tell you something. We sing, Oh little town of Bethlehem. How still we see thee lie. We sing, Silent night. Holy night. Let me tell you something. When this young maiden named Mary began to give birth to this child in Bethlehem, in the wee out, probably the wee hours of the morning as we believe it anyway, in a, in a, in, in a, uh, and the manger was not a wooden cradle as we know it. it is, if you, you know, we learned while we were in Israel, the manger was probably a rock trough. It was a rock that had just basically been carved out enough to bowl water and feed up in it for the animals to eat. Jesus was birthed on a rock, if you would. And on that night, there wasn't a lot of people around. You know, we do our plays and we have the goats and the donkeys and the sheep and the chickens and everything watching. And and we sing silent night, holy night. Let me tell you something. It probably wasn't all silent. There were probably pains of agony that this young maiden had in birthing this child. That she probably cried out in severe pain. There was no medications. There was nothing to help her. It was just, it was as natural childbirth as natural can be. And it was probably a painful night. It was probably a hurtful night. It was probably, and no doubt it was, those of you, again, if I'm too graphic for you, I just, I'll apologize to you now, but, but it was probably a very bloody, painful night in that stable. But it was all the beginnings of the plan. It wasn't the, the beginnings, but it was the beginnings in an earthly means of our salvation. The blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ. For when that baby was born, there was blood that was flowing through his veins. That blood was royal blood. 
That blood would be the blood that would save the nations for all of all of time. That blood would be the blood that would be the the blood that when the when John uh, was was in heaven and John turned around and he said, "Who's who is worthy to open this scrolls? Who's worthy to release the seals?" And he turns around and he sees he sees a lamb and he sees it that is stained in blood. It looks like a, a lamb that has been has been torn all to pieces, ripped in shreds, and he realized that that is the worthy one to open the scroll, to break the seals. You see, from the beginning of the New Testament to the end of the New Testament, we find blood. The blood of Jesus Christ is your salvation and it's my salvation. We don't sing as many blood songs anymore as we used to because they're eh, they're offensive to some. I think somebody needs to get over it. Because the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus is the only thing that can purchase the remission of sin. Yours or mine. So Lord, right now, we read your word. In the same way, Luke says that after the supper, that he, he being Jesus, took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. When we read Paul's account of of taking communion, we find that he again instructs to do it in remembrance of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to know, in this room right now, there's something very important that you need to know. If you're watching my Facebook Live, there's something very important that you need to know. More than anything else in the world, you need to know whether you are covered by the blood of Jesus. Or are you not? You see, the blood of Jesus was spilled out on the ground on the cross. The blood of Jesus was spilled out on the whipping post in Gabbatha. The blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus holds so much power. The blood of Jesus will never lose its power. The blood of Jesus is your security for heaven. Well, how do I know whether I have the blood of Jesus or not tonight or this afternoon, preacher? The only way you can receive the blood of Jesus is receiving in faith. You have to believe that the blood of Jesus that was was worthy enough and as it was spilled out that it was the purchase of your salvation. And you have to believe that because the word of God identifies that and, and declares that and states that by the blood we are overcomers by the blood of the lamb. That lamb is the baby that is born in the house of bread. So this morning I ask you, or excuse me, that's habit. This afternoon I ask you to search your heart. If you don't identify with the the blood of Jesus covering your sin, then you're lost. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. 
But it does mean you're a lost person. And lost means, simply means that if you would die right now, if you would leave, if you would, if you would fall dead of a heart attack right now, if you would leave this building and you would die in a car wreck, or if you were, wherever you're at, maybe you're watching this while you're driving down the road, and a truck swerves into your lane, and your life would be instantly taken, or, or whatever the case may be, or, or, or the trump of God would sound. You know, we don't talk much about that anymore either, but the trump of God of sound and he calls the church away. Listen. If you're lost, it means you won't be included in going to heaven. I find it amazing. I wasn't planning on saying much this morning. I've got carried away, I guess. You know, I go, we go to different, we go to our family's grave sites and we go to these cemeteries and we put out flowers for our our, our families. Uh, two or three, most of the time, three times a year, we change out the flowers at the graves of our family members. We uh, I, I do I do many funerals and uh, uh, through the years of pastoring, I've done funerals. Most of them in the cemetery. Sometimes they're in uh, like a mausoleum. But but I, I, I've done. So many funerals, and I've walked through so many cemeteries. We call them graveyards and places of burial. And, and never once have I walked by and I read the, the stone of this. This is John Doe. John Doe died lost. He did not know God. I've never seen that. I've never walked into a funeral home and picked up one of those papers that's there at the book that you sign your name on, and that pa- that paper says that 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 that. That Sally Joe, unfortunately, died lost. I've never picked up the paper or looked at the obituaries online and find any obituary to read that 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 Billy Bob or Susie Q died without God, lost. You know why? Because in our minds we think everybody's going to heaven. In our mind, we think everybody's that that has left made it. Boo Boo, Billy Bob, whatever his name is, Susie Q, Natasha, whatever the name could be. We think every everybody goes to heaven when they die. But I say this, Lord, have mercy. This is this is awful. I preach something like this right here at Christmas, ain't it? But let me tell you something. Everybody don't go to heaven when they die. The only the people that enter into the presence of the Lord, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The only ones that enter into the presence of the Lord are those who are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, unfortunately, as bad as we hate it, through the lack of a decision from Jesus Christ, people that die lost will spend eternity in torment. We don't like to use hell because it's not user-friendly anymore. So, you see the importance of the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, the importance of the house of bread is in the house of bread, bread can supply us, in essence, bread in the natural can supply us with whatever we need. The the blood and the water, if you would, supplies us with with whatever we need. In in, in the sense of our relationship with Jesus Christ and our relationship with eternity, our bread is found... Our bread is found in Jesus Christ. But the juice, the blood, the fruit of the vine is also found in Jesus Christ. So what I'm saying to you is this. If you want to go to heaven, whether you live another 
ten minutes or if you live ten more years or God bless you, maybe it'll be thirty or forty more years or maybe more than that that you live. The, the absolute necessity in your life to know that you will spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ is realized He is the bread of life and His blood is the remission for your sins. And let me tell you, that... What I just preached may sound a little hard to you in some, to some in some ways. Others probably not. But let me tell you something. I just offer to you the greatest Christmas gift that you could ever receive in your life. Amen? Because you could have all the goods of this world, but if you don't have Jesus, you're a miserable person and you're most lost. So as we celebrate the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood that started flowing in the body of, of a little young maiden named Mary, but that blood that came into physical existence as we think about it at the birth in Bethlehem on that night in the house of bread, the, that blood of that baby gives us the promise of salvation. So he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The new covenant means you don't have to kill lambs. You don't have to depend on some priest. I can't save you. No priest can save you. Your mama can't save you. Your granny can't save you. Nobody can save you except Jesus. 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 So right now, as you hold your cup, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your blood. It's still the blood that saves us from our sin. It's still the blood that washes us and and cleanses us. It's still the blood that that redeems us. It's still the blood that we're in that we find the remission of sin. And in this Christmas season, right now, Lord, I want to thank you for the greatest gift that I've ever received. The gift of your blood. Your son. The bread of life. But right now we're celebrating the blood. Lord, it's your blood, Lord. Your blood, Lord, let your blood be painted on the doorposts of my heart. Lord, let your blood be there as a permanent mark, Lord. A stain that can never be removed. It's a marking, Lord. It's a guarantee of your salvation. So, Lord, I thank you for that blood. And, Lord, I choose not to receive it lightly today. As we give you praise in Jesus name. I want you to join with me right now as you take partake of your cup. In symbolizing the blood of Jesus Christ. Consume it now.